Today we're going to look at whether biofuels can really replace our dependence on oil. This is AutoLine. No doubt you've seen some of those stories on diesel cars that can run on used grease from fast food restaurants. Some people call them greasels. Well, the guy who almost single-handedly started the greasel movement is Josh Tickell, who drove his veggie van all around the country. Thank you for the waiting, man. Can you order, please? Can I get a medium Sprite and uh, all your used cooking oil, please? What do you mean? You know the used frying oil that you fry things in? Now Josh is driving the Algeus, a Toyota Prius that was converted to a plug-in and that runs partially on gasoline made from algae. Even more importantly, Josh Tickell made a movie called Fuel, all about how biofuels could get us off our dependence on oil. Well, as you probably figured out by now, Josh is my guest today. You'll find that he's extremely well-informed on biofuels and that this is a very promising technology. Also joining us today are my colleagues Peter DeLorenzo from Auto Extremist and Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics. You are going to want to hear how biofuels can get us off our dependence on oil, and we'll be back in just a moment. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this episode of AutoLine Detroit, talking about the movie Fuel, and we've got the producer here. Do I call you the producer, Josh? I'm actually the director. Director, yeah. Josh Tickell, who's directed a movie here. Great to have you on board with Thank us you. here at AutoLine Detroit. Also joining us today, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics. Great having you here as always, Jim. And Mr. Auto Extremist, as I call him, Peter DeLorenzo. Peter, great having you here as well. Peter, Jim. Well, let's start talking about the movie, and Josh, the way I want to start it is, boy, wouldn't everybody love to make their own movie? How'd you get started? How'd you get this thing done? Pick up the story for us, please. Well, it took 11 years to make the movie. So even if everybody wants to make one, you may not want to take over a decade of your you life. You better be committed. To make a movie, exactly. For me, it was a personal journey. Fuel tells the story of my life growing up in the oil refinery area of Louisiana, watching the pollution come from that, watching members of my family get sick and going, wow, isn't there a better way to make energy? You know, can't we fuel our cars and do the things that we do without polluting the land, the water, and the soil? Louisiana actually produces more gasoline than any other state in the nation. We have 150 petrochemical facilities in a 100-mile area. The refineries heat crude oil in distillation towers. Oil vapors condense along the sides, splitting into a variety of products like diesel fuel and gasoline. The leftover toxic chemicals turn the surrounding air and soil into what the EPA calls the fallout area. Well, when you drive along the highway, all you see is something that looks sort of like the Emerald City. You know, you see all these towers and columns and tanks. And the whole purpose is to manufacture chemicals that are building blocks that are used for other manufacturing processes, as well as finished products like gasoline, jet fuel. Plastics, chlorine, ammonia, nitrates, fertilizers, PVC. But there's a third fraction of the oil barrel. That third fraction is waste, usually toxic waste. There's only three ways to get rid of it. 
You can burn it, you can dump it on land, or you can dump it in water. And so for the last 70 years, the oil companies in Louisiana have been doing all three. So it follows that pathway and that quest, sort of Don Quixote uh, going off to fight the big giants and find the solutions. And it's an interesting question that, you know, I think a lot of people take an environmental topic and they go, well, everyone on the industrial side is bad and everybody who is not an industrialist is just a victim of industrialization. And this movie really doesn't take that. It, it, it looks at uh, people as partners after a while. It says, well, you know, what are the oil companies doing? Maybe there is positive here that can be gained and combined with these technological advances. And the end of the movie, the last 30 minutes, focuses completely on solutions, things that you can do. And you started, even before the movie, with a converted diesel that ran on grease from fast food restaurants. I think you almost single-handedly got that whole thing going in this country. Yeah, I'm loved and hated for that. Yeah, you're uh, responsible I, for the grease thieves. Right. <laughs> there's, a, there's perhaps, depending on who you talk to, there's more on one side than the other. But uh, yeah, I drove the veggie van around the country for actually two years and made my own biodiesel from used cooking oil from fast food restaurants. So t took waste, turned that into an energy stream, seemed like a you know, simple idea at the time. Uh, it caught on in unexpected ways after that point. Bio-Willy? Bio Bio-Willy was definitely unexpected. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Uh, you've got to qualify got that statement, because yeah. Yeah. it could just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what did he mean by, oh my gosh, yeah. The English viewers probably went nuts there when he yeah, said no, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But Willie Nelson got involved in the effort, Willie too. Nelson did, exactly. Uh, we had a lot of stars actually get involved, uh, from Julia Roberts to Woody Harrelson to uh, Sir Richard Branson actually comes in the movie, and he's a pretty incredible story because he shows the transition away from these first-generation biofuels, things made from corn and soybeans. Look, we know that future is very limited at best, right? So there, have to be, there has to be a pathway to the future. And Richard's one of those visionaries that sort of goes, okay, this is where we started, this is where we are today, and here's where we're going in the future. And he sees it for the airlines. So why'd you make the movie? I mean, obviously you have a, a, a cause. You started this greasel, the, the veggie van, as you call it, driving across the country, and then the idea popped into your mind or somebody suggested it to you? How, how'd you make the step towards making a movie? One of my first mentors, uh, right before I left on the veggie van trip, 11 years ago, handed me a Hi8 camera and said, film everything that happens. Now, I didn't know that that was going to be 11 years of filming. But, you know, fast forward 10 years, we had a movie, and it was called Fields of Fuel. And it concentrated mainly on biodiesel as a potential solution. A little bit on some other stuff, but mainly on biodiesel. Premiered the movie at Sundance, and then right after that, this huge biofuels backlash came out in the media. You know, everybody, oh, you know, food versus fuel, biofuels are bad. Look, a lot of it was based on some valid trajectories scientifically, but a lot of it was just hype. And so here we had this decision, do we take a movie that's already been outdated and try and put it in the marketplace, or do we recut? And that's where my partner, Rebecca Harrell, the producer of the movie, and my fiance really stepped up and she said, no, we recut the movie, I'll raise the money, and we'll make it about all of the solutions, and we'll talk about the biofuels backlash, honestly. So that's what generated the movie Fuel, which is really about all green energy solutions. And we made the movie to inspire a national dialogue 
about what can we really do about green energy? You know, how can we move this forward? Because there's a lot of talk, and then sometimes there's hype, sometimes there's reaction. But when you look at it, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of action. And we say, well, what's missing? Information. Did you find celebrities were helpful, clueless, a spectrum of, uh, on that spectrum, where did they fall? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, the clueless celebrity and the very informed celebrity. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What, 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 what I think uh, we found with the celebrities, which is really important, because in the movie you get, you get to be personal with them. Mm-hmm. It's not like, uh, you know, when, when um, Woody Harrelson's on camera, you know, he came out in his funny little hat and he was unshaven and he was eating his breakfast and he's like, where do you want me to sit? Okay. And it was just a conversation like that. It's very mm-hmm. natural and real. And what I found with them was most powerful is they, uh, they understand their power to change, like how they can influence other people. And they get that that's maybe more, they have more power than an average person, but that an average person has a tremendous amount of power to change too. So what was consistent in all of their interviews was, you know, Take yourself and turn yourself into a leader with this information and do in your community, you know, maybe what I'm doing on a national level, but it, it doesn't work without the other one. You know, you've got to have partners across the board. So that was very cool. Not so much about the technology, but the dynamics of change. How'd you raise the money? I mean, that's got to be the biggest obstacle to anybody getting anything done. Where did you find people interested in providing you funding to make this? Well, a lot of the money came from grants and donations. People would just see a trailer or a rough screening of the movie, and they would just kind of empty their purses or their pockets, and we'd pass the hat. It was very grassroots and organic. Now, to actually finish the movie, we had some incredible people step in, one of whom was John Paul DeJoria, the founder of uh, Paul Paul Mitchell and Patron. So he was a really big supporter that helped us finish the movie. And another one was Pat Black III, who founded Hero BX, which is a biodiesel company, but advanced biodiesel, not from The second generation. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So, So that's kind of, we cobbled it together with donations from small people and some very powerful people. And the first 11 years of filming was basically done out of your own pocket and saving money by using recycled fuel, or recycle, fuel from recycled source. There was a lot of recycled everything. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you eat a lot of fast food on that? Uh... It's funny. You know, after two years of being on the road and scooping out the used cooking oil. <laughs> you can't look at it, right? I, I literally, I didn't touch a French fry for five years. Couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Josh, uh, when you first started it, as you said, you were really into biodiesel. Yeah. Now it seems to have morphed into anything, quote unquote, green. Right. Where do you fall down on where you think we should go right now? I think, I think one of the things that I see a lot is, is in the environmental movement, there's the tendency to kind of go, oh, here's a solution. And the whole movement moves over here. And then they investigate it for a little while. And all of a sudden, one little bad thing will come out. And they're like, oh, it's terrible. And they go over here. And until basically there are no solutions because everything has something wrong with it. So I, I, I tend to think of where we're going as more of a pathway, a trajectory. You know, we couldn't launch a rocket with a person in it and take them to the moon until we first launched a rocket and just saw it kind of go up into the atmosphere. And then we put a monkey and then, you know, so there has to be a pathway for this moon launch for green energy. And I still think that biodiesel is an important part of that pathway, especially from used oils, fats, greases, things we're throwing into the trash or we're throwing back into, you know, animal feed, which is not healthy. But then I think we've got to move away from corn, soybeans, all sorts of crops. And we've got to look at things that can be grown in the deserts 
and things that don't take water. And that's, I think, where we see a, a trajectory from things like Camelina and what the Department of Energy is calling their big biomass program, 1.2 billion tons of cellulostic stuff to make ethanol and stuff. We've got to even go beyond that. And we've got to continue to push that envelope until we're safely and securely away from growing any traditional crops on any food land. And that puts us pretty much with algae. It's entirely possible that your next car could run off of biodiesel produced by microalgae. Algae are the original oil producers on Earth, and so this oil is very similar to the oil that comes straight out of the ground. Algae can double its cell mass every few hours. It goes from one cell to two cells to four cells to eight. It grows so quickly that we can go from the cells on this plate to a flask to a large-scale industrial fermenter of hundreds of thousands of liters in a span of days. We take 150 million year process, which is what it takes to make oil that we use in our cars right now, and we condense it to three days, and we end up with oil that, when burned, doesn't add additional carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. How optimistic are you on algae? I mean, the people I talk to in the auto industry are very excited about it. But you know, what they keep telling me is, can we scale it up on an industrial scale? And, and what are the costs going to be? And what's your research led you to, to find? Well, I'm bullish, on, I'm bullish on algae, first of all, just so you know my perspective. But I, I absolutely agree with you. It's got to be replicable and scalable. If it's not those two things, it's not going to work as a future fuel. It becomes a specialist fuel, functionally. Exactly. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but algae can be used for both a diesel substitute and a gasoline substitute, correct? You are correct. So in that respect, it's more flexible than trying to do primary cellulosic ethanol. It's much more flexible than cellulosic ethanol because the trajectory for algae is not to create a biofuel. It is to create synthetic gasoline, mm -hmm. synthetic diesel fuel, and synthetic jet fuel with, with as good or better than you know, statistics as our regular fuel. And, and, and not to take the oil industry out of business, but to provide the oil industry with a crude substitute that can be used in the refining how process. Fa how far along are we with this? Well, I would say out of the... You, you got to look at everything in context, I mean, right? We're not at the are we at the bio willy stage or beyond? We're we're not at the bio willy stage, and I'm not sure that the bio willy stage, it, you know, should be our our, our I, I know, guide I'm just, stick I'm just for anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding because I like saying it. Right? No, I know it, it rolls off the tongue yeah, nicely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're definitely not at the bio willy stage, and I think that's okay. I think what we have to look at is is we have to look at algae in context. You know, algae was promoted as a possible solution in the 70s and 80s through the Department of Energy, researched it in a little place called Roswell, New Mexico, <laughs> which could have been part of the confusion. They just can't make this up. They were using, <laughs> they were using alien algae initially, weren't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, sure, we're not sure where the technology yeah. came from. We just know it works. <laughs> now, you drove works. over here today in a Prius fueled right. with algae. Algae Correct. fuel, I yes. should say. Correct. Where do you get this stuff? I mean, I, it's not like it's at any gas stations around. Right. No, uh, it's, it's, very, it's made in a very small amount at this stage. What we're seeing we is... We say small amount. Tens of gallons, hundreds of gallons? This year, mm -hmm. there will probably be less than 10,000 gallons made. No, I mean, when Worldwide. they make a lot of it, how much is a lot usually? A lot from a pilot facility today is probably less than... 
two or three thousand gallons. Okay. So that's if you get you know kind of look at the scope of where we are in terms of we're off the bench top. Mm-hmm. You know this is not a bench top process. So this is actually in low low level industrialization effectively. Yeah, we're in pilot facilities. Mm-hmm. So, but we're not quite to industrial facilities, full commercial scale oil refineries yet. So if you look at the trajectory of most technologies like this, you're you're probably at about year three to five in a 10 to 15 year cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, within the next five to 10 years, we're going to start to see those commercial facilities turning on. And I don't think, I don't think at first that we're going to see refineries running 100% algae. We may see some specialized refineries, like less than, you know, kind of like the biodiesel. There'll be a dedicated was. fuel facility then. Yeah. That'll be a dedicated yeah. algae facility. I mean, the, the truth is we have better things to do with oil than burn it because there's some plastics you can only make with petroleum. And some of these are used in the medical industry. So if you don't burn it and use it there and you have a substitute, that's fine. Mm. But it means we'll still be refining oil for a fair amount of time. And I mean, I'm thinking about where you grew up. You're still going to have facilities off-gassing. and Absolutely. O- you know. o- oil's never going away, period. Uh, It's going to get, the process of refining oil is going to get progressively cleaner. The trajectory of oil companies is going to get progressively more domestic. It doesn't make sense to, uh, you know, import oil from Saudi Arabia. I think we all agree on that. I think think the tar sands have shown us that the environmental degradation for a barrel of oil may not be worth it. And that's why we're reaching this tipping point. ExxonMobil puts six hundred million dollars into fuel from algae research recently. I was just going to ask you where the oil companies come come down on this. They're they're extremely bullish on All the majors are really working on it, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think about it. If I could give you a Texas sweet crude produced in New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Nevada. And and Michigan, too. Let's go with that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, the desert area is what's being looked at first for for major production, Mm -hmm. right? But if I could give you a a Texas sweet crude at or below world spot prices today that you can ship. Close to existing refining facilities. Exactly. Directly in pipelines. So you use the same refining facilities to make the algae fuel or the different distillates from it. Exactly. Yeah, it it, it can be made through a, it can, you know, first generation algae fuel can be made through a biofuel process. Mm -hmm. So you can have an ethanol-like algae fuel, you can have a biodiesel-like algae fuel. But what's being pushed, you know, in terms of our steps, in terms of our trajectory, where are we going? We're going to put this in traditional refineries. So it's being seen really as as sort of an ersatz crude. mm, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. you know, with with the caveat that we're still in the research phase, mm-hmm. it's not complete. Right. Right. We're not there yet. It's not available for your car tomorrow. However, you know, we did drive some three thousand miles to get here on a Prius running on five to ten percent of this distilled algae gasoline, which is the first cross-country trip on a vehicle with a gasoline engine running on a percentage of algae fuel. If I were to put this in my car, put the, the algae fuel in my mm-hmm. car. Uh, with ethanol, you have to make sure you have lines that avoid corrosion and so on. Exactly. Is it is it basically common hardware with gasoline? It, the, the car knows no difference. Okay, so yeah, I don't even yeah. have to worry about things like the ECM. It's right. just going to be like gas. Exactly, and that's the, that's the point. You know, hydrogen, these these solutions that we hear a lot about, and there seems to be so much discussion, but yet so little traction. You know, you've got to fit it in a six to ten trillion dollar 
worldwide industry that includes everything from pipelines to tanks to ships to gas pumps to vehicles. I mean, can you imagine retooling every vehicle that comes off the production line in Detroit to fit a new fuel? Why don't we fit the fuel to the vehicles? One thing that I've thought uh, found very interesting with algae, some of the studies have shown, and I guess you can pick your state, but I'll pick Michigan since we're sitting in it right mm. now. But if you devoted 10% of the land mass of the state mm -hmm. strictly to growing algae, mm -hmm. you'd be able to fuel everything in the United States. And I mean everything. So, so each state then would functionally be kicking into this pool and that would cover all the vehicles? Uh, no, what I'm saying is it, just one state, just the land mass in Michigan alone. One state would do... 10% would do of the land mass of Michigan, if devoted exclusively to growing algae, would grow all the fuel that the United States needs. So it's just Whoa. to put in perspective, <laughs> you know, how doable this is if it can scale up. Right. And, and that's the big if. And that's the big if. And, and, you know, the research is promising. The pilot facilities are promising. It was promising actually in the 70s and 80s when the DOE was doing the work. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the scientists who were on that project, when they closed the study, they said, you know, we feel not only is this a possibility, but the U.S. could produce several quads of fuel. Quad is a quadrillion yeah. BTUs, as you, as you probably know. That's, you know. That puts us right on par with the potential of being a net exporter. So that was in the 70s. That was the first phase of research. We're many phases along the track. You know, that kind of got shoved in a file cabinet. Everyone forgot about it. And then when oil prices hit $148 a barrel, people went, what, what happened to that algae study? You know, That's not such a bad idea. And boom, all of a sudden, we've got this new industry. Energy in, energy out. Mm. How does it work as far as compared to, say, uh, refining of gasoline? Well, it, it's radically different. Yeah, I understand that because your energy in, it, to start it, is basically sunlight, correct? Yes, correct. And then you've got to circulate. You have circulation, so you've got electricity for that. Mm. But yep. the actual process, is it, is, it, is it in the window or is it one of those things where there's a step function to get it commercialized so the, the costs are comparable? The number one reason why algae is is likely going to be viable. I'm not gonna say it's 100%. You know my perspective on it. The research is still happening. But the number one reason why it's likely to be viable is that from, from BTUs in to BTUs out, you're putting in about one BTU, you're getting five or six out. And here's the reason. Algae are the most efficient converters of solar energy into hydrocarbons on the planet. It takes probably about seven to 17 photons, literally photons, to create a carbon bond. Now, there is nothing technologically that we have that is that efficient. And you're looking at cellular division once every two hours. So it grows fast. It grows really fast. You're not talking about getting one crop a season or a year. You're talking about every few days. So now our fear is the earth it's being continuous. taken over by algae. <laughs> well, and, and again, another valid fear, right? Because then, then people go, oh, it's the green blob. You know, it's <laughs> people running and screaming you know, out of the theater. But I think the, the reality is the algae that is being hybridized and developed for this purpose, it has to grow in certain conditions, in certain water, with certain nutrients, and a certain amount of CO2. It basically has to grow in a controlled environment which does not exist in nature. One of the great things about Michigan is that states like Michigan uh, have the potential to produce a lot of algae because they produce a lot of CO2. So here now, we take our coal-fired po power plants. There are 1,700 coal-fired power plants in the U.S. with enough land around them to co-locate an algae facility, because algae needs sunlight, 
CO2 and nutrients in a very specific quantity to grow and mass produce. So here you've got one of the three most important things. And in this respect, CO2 becomes part of a currency rather than part of a deficit. We're running out of time for this broadcast version. We've got to keep this conversation going. We're going to let the cameras keep on rolling, but you're going to have to join us on the Internet at our website at autolinedetroit.tv. But Josh Tickell, thanks so much for coming in and talking on this broadcast version of the show. Thank Very you. interesting. Thank Jim you. Hall, thanks for being here as always. Pleasure Peter DeLorenzo, great having you here as well. And thanks, Peter. I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. We have a lot more of Josh Tickell and all the effort that went into making his movie called Fuel. In a couple of weeks or so, we'll come back with part two of this interview. And join us again next week when my guest will be Doug Speck, the CEO of Volvo North America. Sure looks like Ford is going to announce that it's selling Volvo to Chinese automaker Geely. And we'll have to learn how that will affect Volvo's operations here. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.